Well, if you'll take your Bible then and let's turn over to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6. What we're going to do, we're going to pick up where we left off, and then at some point, probably in about, I don't know, half an hour, 30, 35 minutes, we're going to have a, a brief six-minute video, and we'll come back and, and wrap up. So, But what we're doing on Wednesday evenings, uh, we are working our way through the Sermon on the Mount, and we've, we've come to that section in the sermon that's known as the Lord's Prayer. And what we're doing is we've slowed down a little bit to... Uh, spend a few weeks looking at this prayer in detail, which actually we've said might be, uh, you know, just could just as easily be called the disciples' prayer. We talked about that the last time. We won't go over the reasons why, but uh, the last time in, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, we looked at verse 9. We took that section, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And tonight we're going to take the section that says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're going to take time to unpack that and uh, try to better understand what Jesus means. Because again, this is a, this is a model prayer. The disciples in Luke's gospel teach us how to pray. And Jesus' response was this prayer. And so for all those who say, my goodness, I'd like to, I'd like to know more about prayer, like to know uh, how to pray, a, a good model for praying, Jesus provides this prayer. And so we're in the part in verse 10, your kingdom come. And so what we need to do is ask, what is, what is the kingdom of God? So we're going to spend a few minutes just pondering that question and trying to find some answers. Now, what is the kingdom of God? And I was thinking about this uh, uh, a few days ago, you know, it's interesting. We, you, I know you hear this. If you, you know, you, you can hear it by listening to the news. Um, uh, you can hear it if you're listening to the, you know, cultural pulse. Uh, you'll hear a lot of cries for things such as this: social justice. That that is that is one of the biggies right now. You know, you you, you can't hardly go anywhere without hearing about. Social justice, the cry for social justice. In other words, a hot button word, equality, equality, fairness. These are words, these are buzzwords uh, that especially uh, the millennial generation, the millennials and, and those younger um, hear these words. In fact, when I hear these words, I think, you know, I think sure, I mean, who, who wouldn't be for equality? Who wouldn't be for fairness, you know, uh, who wouldn't be for social justice. And um, so when we, we hear these things and what, what it is, is if you really listen close, there's many people who when they want social justice, equality and fairness, what they're, what they're wanting is a better world, a better world. In other words, they, they, they are realizing, and I'm talking about people who not, not necessarily in the church, I'm talking about just the average person, they realize that there's something terribly wrong with our world. That there's a lot of unfairness. There's a lot of inequality. Um, there's a lack of justice for the oppressed. And so they realize, man, you know, there's, there's something terribly wrong with our world. They want a better world. And as you think about it, could it be, I think so, could it be that what they're longing for and they don't know it is actually the kingdom of God? 
I mean, that's really what they're longing for. They, they would never admit that, perhaps. But what, what we know from, from the Scriptures is what they really want. I mean, we could, could say it this way. Their, their, their want, they, they really need to ramp up their want even more because God's answer is bigger. It's bigger than, you know, the world's idea of social justice, the world's idea of equality and, and fairness. I mean, politicians try to maneuver to fix those kind of things, uh, but they'll never do it perfectly. Uh, only, only God's everlasting kingdom will solve that. And so what is the kingdom of God? Years ago, I read a, a biography by, um, about Robert and James Haldane. And they were two, what you might call, Scottish giants. One of them went on to be a preacher, and the other went on to work for the Bible Society. In fact, Robert Haldane is the one person who is responsible for getting rid of the Apocrypha uh, in, in the Bible. You know, you know the, the Catholic Bible has the Apocrypha, and there are many, many translations through the years had that, had that in, their, in the Bible, you know, the, the book of Maccabees and those sorts of things. And Robert Haldane was like, look, this is not the Word of God. This is not the inspired Scripture. And he was kind of responsible for getting rid of the Apocrypha um, in our modern translation. So anyway, I, I tell you this to say this. Uh, early on in the biography, probably about within five pages, uh, the biographer was talking about Robert and uh, James as children. And they could remember that when their mother would put them to bed, she would, she would you know, think, okay, they're asleep. But they weren't quite asleep yet. And she would kneel down beside their bed. And here's what they remembered Part of, the, part of what she prayed. She prayed that their lives might be devoted to God's service and that they might be brought up or brought to his everlasting kingdom. In other words, they heard their mother praying, Father, bring them to your everlasting kingdom. Make them part of your kingdom. And, you know, I've often wondered what that must have been like for a five-year-old, six-year-old boy to hear their mother praying you know, make them part of your kingdom. Uh, so what, what is the kingdom of God? Well, I want you to take your Bible, if you would, hold the place where you're at, and turn over to Psalm 145. Now, we could, whew, we could find all kinds of examples tonight where the Scriptures mention the kingdom of God. This one comes to my mind tonight, Psalm 145, and starting at verse 10, I'm going to let you get there if you want to, if you want to follow along. Psalm 145, and verses 10 through 13. The psalmist writes, All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. And notice this. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. Now, there's, a, there's just a great deal just in these few verses that sheds some light on the kingdom of God. It speaks of the glory, the glory of God's kingdom. It speaks of here uh, the glorious splendor of your kingdom. And then verse 13, wow, that, I love this, everlasting kingdom. Now, what does that say to us? It's a kingdom that will never end. It will go on and on and on. And then it says, and your dominion means your rule, 
Your, your kingship endures throughout all generations. Did you know the kingdom of God is mentioned just in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, 103 times in the Gospels. Huge theme, the kingdom of God. I ran across one today. I was looking for something else, and I'm just going to read this one to you. It's in 1 Thessalonians. And uh, uh, j- just, just to add this to, to, to the list, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, verse 12, l- l- listen to what Paul said here about the kingdom of God. He said, We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So when when the gospel is preached, when the gospel is proclaimed, we we can honestly say from 1 Thessalonians that it's it's God's call to men and women to, to come and be part of his glorious, splendorous, everlasting kingdom. But what is God's kingdom? Well, what is God's kingdom? It is simple, simple words. It is God's royal rule. Okay. That, that's a, that's a simple way of explaining it. We'll, we'll add a little bit more to that, but it's God's royal rule. We find in the Bible that there's the kingdom of this world and there's the kingdom of God. And a king, see a king has a kingdom and a king rules his kingdom. Uh, Just as God, and we looked at this two weeks ago, just as God is already holy. uh, Remember it says, hallowed be thy name. And and we we said, you know, really, God is already holy. Uh, Just as God is already holy or hallowed, so is he already a king reigning in absolute sovereignty over both nature and history. So in one sense, when we pray your kingdom come, we have to realize, one, God is already a king, and he is already absolute sovereign over nature and history. And we, we know this from a number of verses, and I'll, I'll just read you one right quick. In Psalm 24 and 1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. So, who, you know, who does the earth belong to? It's the Lord's. It's the Lord. Now, there are some in the church that say, oh, see, the world belongs to Satan, and, uh, you know, the other stuff belongs to God. That's all. The earth belongs to the Lord. He's sovereign. He's sovereign over nature and over history. And so in one sense, you know, God, God already rules. Uh, so in that sense, yes, he already rules. But let's look a little further. Remember, when, when Jesus came, he began to announce the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God. He announced a new and special break-in of the kingly rule of God. In other words, his, his showing up, Christ showing up was this special break-in of the kingly rule of God with all the blessings of salvation and demands of submission. You know, Jesus was calling people, you know, the kingdom of God has come, it's come, it's now. And so you might say, well, look, if... if uh, if God is already sovereign over nature and history, you know, he's, he's already a sovereign king, and Jesus came and, and announced the kingdom of God and, and, uh, and the demands of submitting to it, why doesn't, why doesn't humanity recognize this? Why are there so many, I was one, who live in rebellion against the king? I mean, if, God, if God's already sovereign, he's king and ruler over, over uh the, the, all of nature and history and the earth, then, then 
why don't people recognize that? You know, why, don't, why don't we see that? Well, imagine, imagine walking into a, 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 let's say you walk into this room and uh, the lights are on. Lights are on, window, lights coming through. Light can be present, yet be absent to those whose eyes are closed, right? Lights on. Folks, the lights are on, but they can't see it because well, their eyes are closed, you see. And that's, that's what the Bible teaches is, is, is the human condition when it comes to a failure to recognize the sovereign rule of God. Uh, I, like I said, I mentioned that at one time I was living as a rebel, rebelling against the sovereign rule of God. And the thing that it is, left to ourselves, left to ourselves, we do not go looking for the kingdom of God. You know, you, you, the average secular person doesn't get up in the morning and think, man, I tell you what, I've got to find out about this kingdom of God. <laughs> I want to get in this kingdom of God. I want to know more about this everlasting kingdom of God. Yeah. No, uh, no. And why is that? Because we seek our own kingdom. We, we, we want to be the king of our own kingdom. We don't want anybody ruling us because that's what kings do. Kings rule kingdoms, and they, 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 they rule their subjects. And, and uh, God is a glorious, good, benevolent king, but we don't see that. We, uh, we, we, we don't see that, just like Eve and Adam, they, they didn't see it that way. The devil said, he's just, he's just a killjoy. He's just trying to keep you from really, really living life. And so we rebel against the king. Therefore... We need the kingdom to come. We need the kingdom to come. That's what the prayer says, isn't it? Um, Jesus is praying here, or giving the model prayer in Matthew 6. Your kingdom come. Now, what does it mean for God's kingdom to come, and how does this happen? We already, we already can say that God's kingdom is his, his, his rule. His rule, his submission to his rule, being part of his kingdom is living under his kingly rule. And so what does it mean when we pray, your kingdom come? If God's kingdom is his royal rule in every part of our lives, and if people are in a state of resistance and refusal, then what has to happen? Well, the kingdom has to come. Okay? Again, we don't, we don't go looking for it. Our eyes are closed to it. We're blind to it. We resist it. We rebel against it. And so it's not going to be on our initiative. You know, it's not going to be our initiative. It's going to take the initiative of the king, the kingdom to come. So when we pray, when we pray, um, thy kingdom come, when we pray this, we're asking, we're asking God to extend his royal power over every part of our lives, over our emotions, our desires, our thoughts, and our commitments. So think, think about that for just a moment. You know, Lord, Father, may your kingdom come. Okay, it at least means this. It at least means that we are asking God to extend his royal rule and power over every part of our lives. Our emotions, our desires, our deepest commitments, our thoughts. And so, you know, is that really what we want? Is that really what we want? 
You know, do, we, do, do we want God's royal rule concerning our commitments? Or do we want to kind of keep that open, you know? Do we, do we want to, do, here's a question. Do we want to be part, hey, I want to be part of God's kingdom. I want to be part of it. But I still want to call the shots. I don't want to live under, I, don't, I certainly don't want his, 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 his full royal rule in my life. I'm, I want to be able to, I want to be able to deal with my desires. I want to, I want to deal with that. I want, to, I want to call that out. I want to, I want to, my thoughts, my commitments, those belong to me. No, not, not in the kingdom of God. When we pray, thy kingdom come, we are praying that God through his spirit would correct our desires and through his word, he would shape our thoughts. He'd recreate new desires in us, desires that would please him, desires that would honor him. And that our thoughts would be shaped, that we think right. The kingdom of God, Christ came. The kingdom of God is, is, is what you might say inaugurated. When Christ came, the kingdom of God was inaugurated. Now, inaugurated means to introduce. Okay? It, means, it means the beginning. Okay? But one day, the kingdom of God will be consummated. It means it will... It will be complete one day. And that is also what we're praying for. Thy kingdom come fully, completely throughout all of the world. So uh, as we're thinking about, you know, as, we, as we're praying this, what are we praying? We're praying, you know, for, for God to extend his royal power in our lives. But also praying for the, the consummation of the kingdom, that, 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 that this this. In, in finality, it will come and be completed. We're, we're praying, and, and if you'll take your Bible, and, and you can see this in Revelation 11 and 15. The rain, we're praying the reign of God. You see, the reign of God is only partial right now in the world. We're praying, when we pray, thy kingdom come, it's to yearn for Revelation 11 and 15. And... We find there it says, Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So when we are praying this prayer that Jesus gave us a model of, you know, kind of expanding our prayer, you know, if you look at this prayer, and again, it this prayer doesn't cover every conceivable thing that we might think of, but it does expand our list. Sometimes our prayer list is, if you look at our prayer list, let's be honest, if we look at our prayer list, most, most often it is cram-filled with health issues. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. Don't misunderstand me. But Jesus is helping us here to say, hey, here's a model prayer. Pray thy kingdom come. Because <laughs> I tell you what, there's no future there's no future in living in rebellion against the king. That does not end well. <laughs> and so we, we pray, thy kingdom come, that God, I want your rule in my life and my thoughts, my desires, my commitments. And Lord, will I ultimately see your kingdom come to consummation. And also when we pray this, we're praying that Satan's kingdom, his kingdom of darkness, will be toppled. Yeah, that ultimately it'll be finished over for the evil one one other thing one other thing that i want to mention here that we're you know and i, and I 
The kingdom of God is something that we are either in or we're not in. You're, a person is either in the kingdom of God or they're not. And I, 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 I say that because of something Jesus said in Mark's gospel, chapter 12. And I'm just going to allude to this just for a moment because I think this is really fascinating. In Mark's gospel, chapter 12, there's a, one of the scribes came up to Jesus and he asked him, which commandment is most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord uh, our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And here's what Jesus said to this scribe. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Now that shouldn't be interpreted, you know, you're close enough. <laughs> you're not far, but you're not in. And I, I, think, I, think that, I think it's fair to say that in many churches across America, there are people that attend who are not far, they got good answers. And they, you know, they, they, this guy had a really good answer and he spoke very wisely. Jesus, you're not far from the kingdom, but you're either in or you're out. Let me ask you a question. I want you to answer this if you'd like. Jesus is saying, we pray thy kingdom come. What can you think of that might prevent believers from sincerely praying this? If it means, if, if it means like, Lord, I, I want your rule in my life and my thoughts, my commitments, everything I'm doing, I want you ruling. So may that come and um, may, your, you know, may, may, the, may the finality of all things come. Kind of, kind of like praying, Jesus, come quickly. What do, you, what, do you, what do you think that might prevent Christians from sincerely praying that way? Can you think of anything? Okay, all right. Anybody else? Can, can you think about any reason why maybe a sincere a believer wouldn't pray this sincerely? Why? Huh? Okay, pride? Okay. Okay, okay, good, good. Anybody else? Ah, attachment to the things of this world. Um, see, on one hand, it is very good that we, it's very right and good that we are thankful for God's blessings, blessings of health and safety and comfort you know in other words we you know i think i was listening today he was talking about the hurricane and there's people in the world and other parts of the world though though we you know this country has been slammed quite a bit with some some you know bad stuff recently but in other parts of the world people are six times more likely to suffer the loss of everything in a storm than we are in america for a variety of reasons and it's not, you know, we, we, we shouldn't listen to that and go, oh, we're, we're too comfortable, you know. We're too safe, we, you know, as if we don't want that. We, we're, we're thankful for that. But what if these things keep us from praying, thy kingdom come? What if we're so comfortable? What if everything is just so, you know, right and good and easy? And that might, that might cause us to say, I don't know if I'm all fired up about praying for God's kingdom to come. I was, um, 
you know, I have had, I've been so blessed, you know, be 63 this year, I've had really extraordinary health uh, m- most all my life. And uh, the other night, uh, uh, Monday night, I, I got real dizzy and uh, couldn't even stand up. And uh, I think I had too much to drink, but no, just, <laughs> just teasing, just teasing. Uh, no, actually, I, I'm pretty sure it was my sinuses and... Um, Catherine helped helped me get me laid down, and uh, for the rest the rest of the night, I was just uh, the room was spinning. I mean, just and I was laying there thinking, you know, I thought, you know, Van, you are sixty three, uh, you've had really extraordinary health. It's not going to last forever, you know. And I thought about you know other people who just much have m- many more battles than than I would ever dream of, and I think no wonder no wonder those are the kind of people often who. Lord, come quickly. Or they're, you know, they're, they're standing around a, a fresh grave and you know, they, they've, they've lost a loved one and, 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 and it's, it's, it's not unusual to, to, to hear them, Lord, thy kingdom come. Lord, come quickly. So I think, I think uh, Larry, Larry hit it on the head there. You know, it, it can be attachments to the things of this world that would probably prevent us from praying these kind of prayers. Let me, let me quickly move through something here. Uh, to, to pray God's kingdom to come, uh, as we pray that in the meantime, we're going to find out later in this Sermon on the Mount, we are to seek first the kingdom of God. Uh, as we're praying for it, we're, we're seeking it. Also, um, to pray thy kingdom come is to, is to repent. It's to, to pray, not my kingdom. I will bend, I will bend to your will not mine. And one, one last thing, and I need to hit this before we move into thy will be done. God's kingdom can only come in the eternal state, not in this present state, okay? And, and the reason why I mention this is you need to beware. It's been around for a while and still pops its ugly head up, and that is what's called kingdom now theology. Kingdom now theology. Let me me give you a definition of it. Uh, It is a theological belief that's primarily within the charismatic movement. Kingdom now proponents believe that God lost control over the world to Satan when Adam and Eve sinned. Okay? Like, God's kind of like, uh-oh, what happened to to my world? What happened to my created order? I've lost it to Satan. No, but that's what is taught. Since, Since then, the theology goes, God has been trying to reestablish control over the world by seeking a special group of believers known variously as, quote, covenant people or, quote, overcomers or, quote, Joel's army. And that through these people, social institutions, including governments and laws, would be brought under God's authority. The belief is that since believers are indwelt by the same Holy Spirit that indwelt Jesus, we have all authority in heaven and on earth. We have the power to believe for and, listen, speak into existence things that are not, and thus we can bring about the kingdom age. That is not what we teach here. I think most of you know that. It's not at all what we teach here. We do not embrace that. I believe it's a false teaching. Uh, but So I just wanted to mention that because, you know, sometimes you start talking about that kingdom come, it can, it can sound, you know, the, this kingdom theology can sound like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's it. No, it's not it. Not it. Next part, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
perhaps the first thing we should acknowledge here is that, now think about this with me, unless we are certain that God is our Heavenly Father, it would be difficult, if not impossible, to pray this. If, if God is just some distant deity and, you know, a person says, well, I believe in God. Yeah, I believe in God. He's just, he's not, you don't really know him as a heavenly father. It would be very difficult, if not impossible, to say, uh, distant deity, <laughs> uh, distant deity, thy, thy will be done. No, not hardly. Uh-uh. It's, 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 you, you had to really be certain that you were loved by the father that he was good and wise to be able to say, your will be done, your will be done. So um, just, a, just a few things real quick. Um, when we pray, thy will be done, it is about submitting our wills to God's will, okay? which means we must be committed to learn all we can about his will, right? Now, I want you to think with me for a couple of minutes, then we're going to watch a video but listen, if we pray, you know, I, I want to submit to your will. Thy will, thy will be done, not mine. Thy will be done. Um, I want to submit to that. Then don't you think that it would make sense that then we would say, well, I really, I really need to learn more about what his will is. And so let me just read a couple of verses, and you can follow me if you want. But in 2 Peter chapter 3, Verse 9, we'll give you a couple examples. That's all this is uh, to, to think in, in line with this. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. So well, here's what we're saying. We're praying, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, Lord, I need to know more about your will, that my will would be submitted to your will. I want, I want to want what you want, okay? So in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, we find out something about what God wants. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing. Now notice that phrase, not wishing, not willing, not wanting that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So let's say you're reading that verse, or you, you hear this verse, or you hear a message on this verse, or you teaching on this verse. You are learning, you are learning something about the will of God. You're going, hmm, God's really... In, he's really into people coming to repentance. He's really into people not perishing. And so that should cause us to say, hmm, now if that's God's will, I want my will to be in line with his will, then what am I going to do to help advance the kingdom of God? What am I going to help to, to do to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ? What am I going to do? How's that going to affect my money, my giving? How's that going to affect... My stewardship, my time. You know, in other words, once I know that this is God's will, this is really the burning issue for him, uh, then as one of his, we would say, well, then that's, if that's what you want. <laughs> that's what you want. I want to want what you want. Okay? Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. Uh, just look at one more, and then we'll uh, try to watch our video, okay? 1 Thessalonians 4 and 3. Again, just trying to find out, say, what, what, what does God want? Boy, this one's clear, First uh, Thessalonians 4 and 3. Not that the other one wasn't, but this is, it says it. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Live holy. God, what, what, 
God, what is your will for me? To live holy. Live a holy life. Um, so, let me set this video up with a simple question. You might say, because I know people say this because I've heard this a lot, and you might have thought it too, and I'm, you know, I'm, be honest, I've wrestled with it before myself. I don't think any thoughtful Christian cannot face this at one time or another, and that is this. Okay, I'm going to pray that God's will be done, and if God's will is going to be done, then why bother praying? <laughs> if, if his will is going to be done anyway, if he's sovereign, it's going to be his way, then why do I need to pray? And we've all probably thought that before at some time or another. You know, our real problem is if God's not sovereign, <laughs> you know, we, we might say, well, good grief, if he's sovereign, then why pray? The real problem, like you said, is if he's not, then why pray? Because if he's not, if he's not able, if he's not powerful and who he says he is in the scriptures, then we're in trouble. We really are. But he is sovereign, and as the brother stated, we're, we're to pray. We're to pray. Now, we'll just close with this. Um, I cannot ever look at these verses, thy will be done, of course, without realizing that Jesus prayed this under circumstances far more crushing than most of us will ever face. It was in the garden, you know, not my will, but thine be done. But I also think of, uh, of someone else, and I know I've gone over this story numerous times, but I guess I, I always think about it when I think about God's will being done and praying that thy will be done. Um, I guess the, a, a number of things that I've read through the years that have been really pivotal for me and, and that have just, you know, just are there right on the surface of my mind is, is uh, uh, regarding George Mueller. George Mueller and his wife, Mary, uh, ran a number of orphanages in London, England during the uh, late mid to late 1800s. And uh, on February the 6th, 1870, George Mueller's wife, Mary, died of rheumatic fever. They had been married for a little over 39 years. And he preached his wife's funeral. And he preached from Psalm 119, 68 or 119 verses 68, which reads, You are good and do good. And he had three things that he said about it. He said, one, the Lord was good and did good in giving her to me. Number two, the Lord was good and did good in so long leaving her to me. And number three, the Lord was good and did good in taking her from me. Huh. And it's on that third point it's on that third point that he recounts how he prayed for her during her illness. Now, folks, if, this is, if there's one little subject that I often think about is how to pray for people during an illness, you know, how to pray for them. Oftentimes, you know, we, we only know one way to pray, and that's just, Lord, heal and make them better. Thank you. And, hey, we want them healed. We do. But, you know, I think you know, there comes a stage in, some, in, in an illness at point where you, you realize this is not getting better. And, and then you begin to think about how can I pray? How can I pray with this family? How can I pray with this person uh, in light of the fact that they're not getting better, they're getting worse? Here, here's, what, here's what he prayed. Okay? Here's what George Mueller prayed for his wife while she was ill before she died. Yes, my father, the times of my darling wife are in thy hands. Thou wilt do the very best thing for her and for me. 
whether life or death. If it may be, raise up yet again my precious wife. Thou art able to do it, though she is so ill. But howsoever thou dealest with me, only help me to continue to be perfectly satisfied with thy holy will. Friends, that, that prayer, when I ran across that, I, have, I read that back in the mid-90s, kept that close at hand. Because I think, you know, I don't want to hold this up as the perfect prayer, but I just, when I read this, you know, he, he, he says, you know, he acknowledges, Father, my wife's life's in your hands. You're sovereign. And he says, I know you will do the very best thing for her and for me, whether life or death. What a sentence. See, that, that is a relationship with God that knows him as Father, knows that he's good. Then he says, if it may be, raise her up, but you're able to do it. Even, even though, even though it's, it, we're, we're on the downside of this, you're, you're able to still raise her up. I believe that. I know that. But he said, however you deal with me, you know, as it, as it, as it concerns me, help me. I love this. Help me. Isn't that, isn't that it? Isn't that it? God, help me. Help me to be perfectly satisfied with thy holy will. And see, that, that's the part of the prayer that I really find dear. Because we do. You, know, to, 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 you just don't cavalierly pray, all thy will be done. You know. Eh, you know. Lord, help me. Help me to be satisfied when your will is done. Anybody with any closing comments? We're going to get to the next part next week, but anybody with any thoughts before we wrap up? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Anybody? Anything on your heart before we go? All right. Well, why don't you stand? Thank you for being here. Appreciate you making that effort to brave the rain and understand it's supposed to be a little chilly in the morning. It's going to actually be fall for us, right upon us. Well, let's pray before we go. Our Father, I believe that uh, your, your servant, George Mueller, was absolutely right. That you will do the best thing for your people. We don't, don't always understand why certain things befall us. We, we don't understand. There's just so many things we don't really understand. But Lord, may we believe and know this, that you love your people. And you've shown that by giving your son for us. And so you will do the very best for us. And so, Lord, help us as we pray regarding your kingdom come that that we might in the meantime be seeking first your kingdom. And and when we pray that thy will be done, that we'll be be wanting to know, wanting to learn, wanting to, to learn of Jesus what your will is, that we might live according to that. And so, Lord, as we go tonight, uh, may we be ever more satisfied with you. And we, uh, we commit our way unto you in Christ's name. Amen. Good night, everybody.